Hello, adoptees, friends and family of adoptees. How are you? How are you? Welcome to this week's episode of The Rambler. I am your host, Mike McDonald, as you are well aware. Uh, As you also may be aware, I uh, have just returned from Iceland, beautiful Iceland.is. It was a lovely place, beautiful place, lots of great geology out there. It's a varied place. I don't know if you uh, have any interest in going to Iceland, but I highly recommend it for a fun-filled vacation if you like nature. If you don't like nature and you're more of a city person or more of a foodie vacation kind of person, uh, maybe Iceland's not for you. But I, I happen to have a great time there. There's a lot of cool stuff to see. You can go inside a volcano. It's the only place in the world you can do that. It's not active. It's more of a, an old magma chamber apparently, but still fantastic to look at, fantastic uh, view of inside that. You can go see glaciers if you're there in the summertime, which I want to go back during the summertime. You can go whale watching. You can see puffins. Yes, puffins, everybody. Puffins. They're like kind of like penguins, but better because they can actually fly and do things, and they're great swimmers apparently too. Anyways, Iceland's great, highly recommended, and their unofficial national dish is a hot dog. I, I, I don't know how you can possibly beat that. I will say this, uh, rent a 4x4 if you end up going. You never know what kind of terrain you will be engaging in when you're in Iceland. Most of the roads are beautifully paved, the highways are easily accessible, the city roads are great, but you can find yourself on a gravel road or a dirt road real quick if you're going off the grid, so to speak to see some amazing uh, rock formation or something that that is there for you to look at in all its infinite beauty. Or if you're there in the wintertime, which I also heard is very beautiful, then you can go there and uh, enjoy that in the beautiful winter, see some Christmas elves or trolls, and uh, check it out. But make sure you rent a 4x4. Otherwise, it's a beautiful place. I I highly recommend it. They shoot some of Game of Thrones there. It's pretty sweet. Visited some set locations, uh, sometimes inadvertently, of Game of Thrones. They weren't shooting, but, you know, it's pretty cool. And uh, I I highly recommend it. It's a little bit expensive on the food side, unless you're eating hot dogs all the time. And if you're there for uh, more than a week, which I recommend if you want to see the whole country, then uh, maybe maybe eat, eat some hot dogs. I don't know. Anyways, I have a great show for you today. My guest today is Emily Kessel. Emily Kessel, who is the uh, Director of Advocacy over at Nakasek. And you may have heard Nakasek uh, being talked about a little bit on this show, on this show here with uh, some guests, and we were talking about the Adoptee Citizenship Act. Emily is one of the people leading the charge for that on behalf of Nakasek, and uh, you can hear more about that in just a bit. But, you know, there's a lot of other stuff going on in the world as well. Uh, last night was the, the presidential debate, the second presidential debate. Uh, I'm not going to comment on it, except that it was, uh, it was there. It happened. And if you would like to be an informed voter, I highly recommend that you go back and watch that if you haven't. And uh, even better, you could sit there and print out uh, short transcripts of the debate, and you can have it with fact checks as well. And those are always helpful. I think an informed electorate is the best electorate. In any case, uh, we're going to get to the show today, which is uh, with Emily Kessel. So enjoy. Enjoy. Well, welcome to the show, Emily. Thank you for joining me and coming on to have a conversation. Thanks for inviting me. 
No, I'm really happy that uh, we got to link up online through email and, and talk uh, because there is actually, a, you were featured this past week, it's good timing, I guess, in uh, the Washington Post and then circulated around the internet from there uh, with regards to the uh, Adoption Citizenship Act. Well, I, I wasn't I wasn't featured. Well, you were other, quoted. I'd like to say the other voices that were in there should have been more featured. I just added a comment. <laughs> but yes, I'm glad that that story um, caught your attention. Well, how could it not? I mean, we, we, I know we were talking about uh, you know Facebook and kind of like trying to lay low on Facebook for a little while, but <laughs> <laughs> taking a little uh, social media break. But it when I, I feel like of my 23 plus notifications that were in my drawer. <laughs> Like that was a ton of them. It was in all the groups and everything was that article, which was great. It gotten a lot of good exposure. Yeah, we were really, I'm, I'm really happy to see that get into a, a mainstream media. Um, that was, a, I guess, a paper that's highly read because I think we've been able to get the story out on ethnic media channels and um, through even a more like opinion pieces or um, uh, even like mainstream, but not well-read mainstream so it's really mm-hmm. exciting to be able to reach a different audience so yeah well what, what were the uh published pieces before this past one we had a there was a piece that went in uh, in the huffington post uh around the adoption citizen adoptee citizenship act uh, and that featured a couple stories um as well and there there's been a lot that have been in uh i guess the the Korean media, such as the Korean Times, Korea Daily, um, some uh, papers that goes directly to Korea. There is, there's, it's in the German paper. I don't read German, but the, that was better. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the key words in there. Um, so yeah, we've, it, it's been getting around um, to different groups, and I'm not quite sure even who, everyone who's reading it, because I can't track in the circles that I'm not in. Yeah, um, sure. But yeah, and I guess NBC Asian America is the other one that's recognizable, but it's Oh, Asian Americans read it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that's awesome that it's, it, you know, congratulations that this is starting to get bigger and starting to gain a lot more traction. Uh, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit more in, in NACA Second, the organization, in a little bit. But in the beginning here, I kind of want to focus in on a little bit on who you are. Is that all right? <laughs> sure, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hope my Minnesota accent doesn't come out a little bit throughout this. Then what's wrong with the Minnesota? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, and I don't have like it, my mom has a very strong one. So oh, really? Nature versus nurture, I guess, didn't completely <laughs> go in the the nurture direction. <laughs> yeah, your uh, Minnesota accent is is not the worst one that I've heard for sure. <laughs> I just I was just in Minnesota maybe two weeks ago, so. <laughs> Plenty of thick uh, Minnesota accents out there still. And the uh, I just missed the state fair. When's the last time you were at that thing? Oh, boy. Um, at least four years ago. Uh, before the cycle that I started to go to Korea um, pretty regularly, I, I haven't had a chance to go. So it's been quite a while. At least it feels like a while because I'm used to going – at least three times a year um, since childhood. <laughs> so, um, yeah, once a Minnesota fair goer, always a Minnesota fair goer, except for the absence of the last three years. <laughs> so. Fair enough. Do you do you have a, a hard miss of cheese curds? Well, I think I've actually started to become slightly lactose intolerant, so it's probably a good um, thing oh, that's no. from my my diet. But I, I do like them um, and all the other 
really fried fatty things that are at the fair. <laughs> Maybe your lactose intolerance is due to the lack of cheese curds. There's a correlation there. <laughs> <laughs> it's your body reaching out and saying, no, no, we need the real thing. <laughs> Maybe. So are you, uh, so you're originally from Minnesota then? Yes, I have been there since I was adopted and straight until undergrad, so yes. Okay, cool. And, and at what age were you adopted? Uh, four months. Four months, okay, so very young and from Korea. Yes, from Korea, and I don't remember anything from that time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I wouldn't expect you to. <laughs> uh, were you adopted from Seoul? Uh, yes, Eastern... Child Welfare Society. I don't know if that's the exact correct, but that's the agency that I was with in Seoul. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then do, who do they work through in Minnesota? Was that Children's Home Society? Yep, Children's Home Society. Man, I'm getting good at this game. You are <laughs> getting good at this game. <laughs> I know so much about Minnesota. But one mystery I have yet to unravel, uh, even talking with people from Minnesota, is what drove the uh, adoption boom in, in Minnesota. Do you, do you have any insight into that? So I've asked this question and been asked this question many, many times, and I have yet to find any factual, I guess, um, <laughs> concrete information. Um, but from word of mouth and what's been repeated is just um, related to Christianity and then the churches that were kind of sprouted up. It's a very uh, like Scandinavian-driven um uh, demographic that's in Minnesota, at least the roots of it, and it kind of brought in a lot of the Protestant churches, which took a lot of interest and in, probably also related to why we have taken in such a large um, refugee community um, flow throughout the years, um, as well as just um, a lot of organizations and just like, I guess a lot of them are Christian-based actually, that are related to adoption. So that's probably why Children's Home Society took off so on such a scale in the Twin Cities and uh, in Minnesota in general. But yeah, I think it's related to Christianity roots, actually. So Yeah, that was uh, kind of my suspicion uh, going into <laughs> yep. when I started this investigation, if you can call it that. <laughs> it's really just asking a, a Minnesota adoptees who come on the show. <laughs> but that's probably the most uh, the best answer that I've gotten so far, um, especially with regards when you when we think about, yeah, because Minnesota does have a ton of refugees in, in the area, at least in the Twin Cities area. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's always it's always very interesting to me, like you know, also why that is as well. And uh, it's interesting. I didn't know if there was like just more lax laws, or Minnesota was just more accepting of immigrants into their area. But yeah, tons of uh, immigrants in in Minnesota, which I always think is very fascinating. Because when I think of you know the Midwest as being diverse, like I don't really think of Minnesota, even though it, you know Minneapolis and St. Paul are actually some of the most diverse areas I think in America. Mm-hmm. So, uh, which part of Minnesota w did you grow up in? I had St. Paul, so one of the Twin Cities, the smaller of the two, but the capital. <laughs> <laughs> Is it the capital? I don't think I ever realized that t St. Paul we was the capital. We always claim that, because people always assume it's Minneapolis. <laughs> <laughs> I actually like St. Paul quite a bit. I think it's very nice out there. It got, like, very nice, because it's a little bit more suburban. Mm -hmm. So there, I don't know, it reminds me, because I grew up in Jersey, so it reminds me of Jersey a little bit more, <laughs> to, you know, Minneapolis's New York. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, uh, St. Paul has a good feel to it. I was on right, the, my house was literally on a, um, the, the corner of where Mendota Heights, West St. Paul and St. Paul kind of all meet, so I just like to stand in the middle of that. <laughs> <laughs> 
feels special. <laughs> nice. And how was it growing up uh, over there in St. Paul? I was good. I started off, uh, I think more of my diversity, uh, kind of my more diverse experiences came from being in public school up until just elementary. And then I got switched into Catholic school from middle school on. Um, but yeah, it was, my parents were always really active in making sure that I had Korean adoptee presence in my life and uh, just diverse presence in my life too. So I, most of my friends were Hmong and Cambodian actually growing up. Um, but yeah, so I always felt that there was diversity there as far as the, the Asian community goes. And then my mom, every time she saw a, a Caucasian mother with a Asian daughter, she would say, is your kid adopt from Korea too? So I always, yeah, so that's how I grew up, just <laughs> being very aware. <laughs> like hyper aware. Yes. <laughs> so it definitely wasn't like, a, you know, obviously it wasn't a hidden secret or anything, but oh. it, you know, it, was, it was an open thing with uh, your parents. It sounds like you have a pretty good relationship. Mm-hmm. So they tried to get you involved in a lot of things or was that uh, self-started? Uh, I think it was a combination because I was incredibly shy when I was growing up. So I, it was good that my parents kind of nudged me. So they definitely um, plopped me into every culture, Korean culture camp that there was. So I went to at least one every summer, uh, mainly Camp Chosan um, in Wisconsin across the border. But uh, And they brought me to all those different uh, Korean dance performances. And my mom tried to eat selection of the Korean food with me. <laughs> And yeah, I think the only thing they didn't push on me was the language. That was more of a self-started thing for me as I got into undergrad. Mm-hmm. But they pushed culture on me. <laughs> well, this is the first time I'm hearing about uh, this camp in Wisconsin. I didn't uh, realize that there were so many Korean adoptees in Wisconsin, actually, that they could have a camp out there. I think it's mainly populated by Minnesota adoptees that just crossed over. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, then my question is, why happened in Wisconsin and not Minnesota? There was a YMCA camp that allowed them to have the camp there. So I see. So I think right. it's just that. <laughs> Logistically easy. Are you in touch with any of those kids anymore? Or is that kind of like, you know, camp from when you were a kid and that's the last time you saw them? Uh, my mom's in touch hmm. with some of the moms of the kids that I was in touch with. Oh, really? I think on more of that level. Um, I think that's how she kind of uh, was able to find her niche in that community too with adoptive parents but I I don't keep in touch with too many I think the ones that I did I met outside of the camp like mm. one of them that my mom had gone up to the mother and said is your daughter adopted <laughs> and then she happened to go to the camp with me so then I keep in touch with her um and yeah so but I, I keep in touch with a few people so <laughs> but it's been through different channels I'll meet them later at some adoptee event, and then I'll see them in my photo from second grade, and I'm like, oh, you were standing next to me, but I never talked to you. <laughs> so, yeah. That's Love hilarious. <laughs> and your mom was, it sounds like she was pretty bold. She would just, like, go up to people and ask about them. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was a terrified, um, shy child that was very embarrassed when my mother did that. <laughs> was that a common occurrence for her? Like, every time she saw who she suspected to be uh, an adoptive family, she would go up and, and ask them about it? It wasn't every time, but it was definitely common. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you were embarrassed every time. Like, please don't, don't do it. Oh, God, she's talking to them. 
Yeah, I just I just remember like the one time where she'd always assume it was a Korean adoptee, and then there'd be we'd she'd you'd walk up and she'd say, "Oh, your daughter adopted from Korea? No, she's adopted from China." And sometimes I get very offended. No, oh, no. But I mean, she's just trying to bond. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But you know, I'm just like, oh no, <laughs> more red. My cheeks cheeks become so. Well, after they realize after. She- she said she was adopted from China. Would your mother like turn around and be like, "All right, well, I'll see ya." <laughs> no, she would keep talking. <laughs> She'd be like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's awesome. So, and so uh, you went to Catholic high school. Then you said you transferred into Catholic high school. Yeah, middle school and then oh, high middle school. school, and then you continued on the Catholic high school. Yes. And how was that transfer? Was it like less diverse at the Catholic school than it was at the public school, or was it about the same? Oh yeah, <laughs> it was. It was, um, I mean, I, yeah, there, it, there was still diversity, but it was definitely a change, um, in the numbers. So I, um, a lot of the, I guess the Asian students that I did see there, I'm, I'm making diversity be Asian for a moment, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was, there were a couple other Korean adoptees and then there were a couple Hmong students that mm-hmm. were on scholarship and stuff. So it was a different demographic cause it was also in a different dynamic too, cause it was also a little bit wealthier population i'd say for the most part yeah because um, you had to pay sure so but my mom was very set on me going there because she went um to the all girls school when it was all girls so that's kind of why she pushed for me to go there ah. so it was different yes <laughs> so there's like a tradition to this your your mother was like yes. oh, you're gonna have the same kind of experience that i did <laughs> except there are boys now yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, a minor change to the, to the school <laughs> policy <laughs> You guys have a lot of like school dances and everything. Yeah, we had all of that, all of that fun business. <laughs> so. And then, where did you end up going to college from the the Catholic high school? Um, I was hoping to leave Minnesota for college, but I ended up going, staying in Minnesota for undergrad and going to University of Saint Thomas, which is where a lot of people from my high school went. Um, but I actually ended up making it a very different experience for myself, so I was happy. But yeah, I stayed in the Twin Cities, and then right after that, I was like, "All right, I'm out." <laughs> Where'd you want to go? Why did you want to leave Minnesota so bad? <laughs> it sounds like you had a pretty good time growing up, despite the uh, minor, <laughs> uncommon occurrences where your mother would just uh, approach people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think I've just always I was looking for something a little bit different, um, mm-hmm. and I knew that Minnesota was comfortable. And I don't know, you just get at some point in life, there's just that little itch to to leave what's familiar. Yeah. And I think I just kind of had that a little bit, um, leaving high school. And then after undergrad, I was like, yep, now the itch is like all over my body. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you just had like, you wanted to explore a little bit. Yeah. Where did you want to go? I was hoping to go to California. Um, but I didn't really do too much research after I looked to see that I wouldn't get many, um, uh, good deals for schools. Um, just because there was the, I, I could get a better scholarship from going to a private school in Minnesota than going to a public school out in California. It's kind of what I was finding out. So I stopped looking. <laughs> so, so. That's fair. That's fair. Nobody wants to pay back student loans forever or anything like that. Yep. That's kind of where my brain was then. <laughs> and that is a smart move, I feel like. <laughs> you had the foresight to figure that out. So you put your plans to go to California on hold. What did you end up studying in uh, in the private school in Minnesota? <laughs> um, I 
uh, communication studies, which was kind of branched with our journalism department. So I kind of went back and forth with those classes. Oh, yeah? What got you interested in that? I I like hearing stories, which is very cliche. Um, but I just, that's, I really wanted to be an anchor for a while. Yeah. Because um, I also thought there needed to be more, um, there needed to be more diversity in the news. And there needed to be more females and there needed to be more Asian Americans. So I just kind of was like, that, that seemed like a good place to go. Yeah. Um, and then I started doing internships and classes and I realized I didn't like being on camera. <laughs> so, <laughs> so That I, is an I, integral part of being a news anchor, I feel oh, like. Yeah, 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 most definitely. <laughs> and I also wanted to write. I was like, I want to write what I'm going to say. So I'd rather be the one writing it. So, ah. yeah. So, so did you end up going like more the journalism type route? Yeah, I ended up looking more at print. And in my current job right now, I'm not a journalist, but I write a lot to pitch to journalists. So I guess I ended up using that background now. <laughs> whether sure, well, I'm for that or not. Yeah, at least you get to use some of those skills. Mm-hmm. So you decide, so you like to, I don't think it's cliche, by the way, to want to hear people's stories. I like to hear people's stories. <laughs> it's kind of the basis of the show, I guess. <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> and, and so you said you did a lot of internships. Where'd you do your internships? Uh, I did, well, I did some directly on campus with our student life. So we did a lot of uh, programming um, around the different concerts that would come in, around the different, um, like, evening, weekend programming for students. Um, and I, I tried to bring in the international population a little bit, or student population a little bit more into the events that we were doing, uh-huh. because I also was an international student mentor, and I was seeing the, the students just going completely different ways. They just... They wouldn't interact, like the American students on campus and their national students. So I, I kind of, that's why I kind of wanted to go through that internship. But um, yeah, so I did that. Uh, I, I did a, for a public access station thing, I was doing, I was filming concerts <laughs> at a very local scale. So yeah, it that's was pretty cool. Any big names probably, come through? Uh, I mean, we didn't end up interviewing the big names. We got to interview their opening acts like when there was the fray we interviewed um who was their opener i can't even remember anymore it's that group that did the music video with the treadmills okay go (laughs) yes we we talked to them nice um like yeah g love um yeah counting crows we didn't end up interviewing but we filmed yeah it was some some bigger names but it was it was interesting I, i that was a really fun um year so yeah. And you said you were getting involved with the international, you were mentoring international students? Yeah, we had a program um, through my university, and um, I was already hanging out with international students my my sophomore and junior year, so I kind of decided I wanted to try a different role. So, um, yeah, there was you got, we had to do programming for them and um, just kind of be there as like a mentor um, and make sure that they had the resources and connect to the right departments and stuff. So it was oh, that's fun. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you get in? So... How did you get involved with that? You just you were just friends with a lot of international students. Yeah, I I, I don't really even know how to say how you, how that kind of started. I, I just remember the first person 
um, or the first international student. I, ha- I hate saying it that way. It sounds so bad. But that, um, that I met was um, I just was there was a lawn party going on, and I just started talking to my friend Paul, who's from um, <laughs> Uganda. And then from there, like, he just introduced me to a bunch of people, and then yeah, you you get in with the clicks and. <laughs> Yeah, and they have interesting stories to tell, and they they want you to show them around, and then it just made the experience different. So, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. What kind of interesting stories did they have for you? Um, oh, <laughs> uh, well, there. Uh, I think some of the seminarians that were talking to us, um, that were from like like Ghana and Nigeria and whatnot. Um, they just, I was just, um, I didn't know that. I guess now I know, but that there was. Uh, uh, such a growing um, Christian community out in some of those pockets of um, Africa. So just kind of in why they would choose to study in Minnesota was just kind of what I would ask them a lot about. How did you end up here? <laughs> so, and a lot of them just said they just ended up here. <laughs> so, um, they just, or they just applied for somewhere. They're like, um, this was the agreement that we had. Yep, this was the agreement, and <laughs> this was their I, I, their. Their picture of America now, I guess. Cold. <laughs> Long O's, all of that. So, yeah. Cheese curds in the summer. Mm-hmm. Everything is on a stick. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I brought a couple groups out um, to the state fair, actually, and that was really fun. Um, yeah, I bet, yeah. Yeah, I brought a Korean group out, actually. When I uh, I started volunteering at the, doing, like, language exchange with the English language ELS uh, school that mm-hmm. was across from my university, um, and they uh, connected me with a lot of Korean students, and then we got really close, and they all went to the state fair together, and yeah, that was that was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> what was interesting about that? Well, at the end, so this is also a stereotype, but this is one that I found to be true. A lot of my friends at the end would be like, so I just need kimchi right now. <laughs> it was just so fatty and everything, so... I was like, yeah, this isn't what I eat every day, though. This isn't what we eat every day. <laughs> so, yeah, this, I need kimchi, too. Yeah. So There's nothing wrong with that. The kimchi will cut right through the fat. Exactly. <laughs> you got to need that. Yeah, I need a little refresher. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, like, I think that's the first time I've ever called kimchi refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, what was your interaction like with them, like, when you saw him for the first time, when you met him for the first time, were there a lot of questions about your background and your story? It depended on the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but surprisingly, yes. I think there are some points, and my friends tell me now, where they'd forget if I was American or not. Um, <laughs> because I was at the time starting to learn Korean. So once I did learn a little bit more, I think it got more confusing for them. <laughs> um, but they were very much like really wanting just to teach me about Korea <laughs> so yeah. and I think like me be, being an adoptee I think they wanted to teach me even more um, yeah. and I don't know if it's just the group that I found that was just really awesome or if that's a common occurrence but um, yeah that group that cycled through for like a year and a half was amazing so that's awesome and, and you said you ended up going to Korea after college too yes I am um, I was planning to just go once with Children's Home Society when I was in undergrad and then I ended up wanting to study abroad so I I mean sorry in high school and then I studied abroad in undergrad and then afterwards I was like I need to go back to Korea for longer term so I went to teach 
So it just kind of got longer for the trips that I wanted to go for. Yeah. So wait, wait, wait. So you went in high school? Yeah, I went in 2006, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, that was my first trip, and that was just my, I want to go, I really want to go, but I just need to go once. I just want to see it. Uh-huh. Um, and that obviously didn't happen. I didn't go once. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, what was drawing you to Korea so much? Uh, well, I think there is like the, the typical things of just, wow, everyone looks like me, or like literally not just like eight, they're Asian, but they're... They have this. They have similar noses, or the the rounder face, or I'll, I don't know. But I just I I thought the Seoul Metro was very clean. I was like, oh, Seoul is awesome, and it was just a very intense tour, though, too. So I mm-hmm. think um because it was a motherland tour, which right. sounds cheesy, but it was we went to like a sing uh, unwed mother's home, and we did uh, a lot of people met their birth families, so it was just a. Mm-hmm. I think it just opened up a lot of uh, thoughts in my head that I hadn't uh, developed beyond that. Um, I, so that made me want to explore more things um, on a personal level as well as just, hey, I want to know how to talk to people. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to learn the language. So, yeah, so I think all those just started to click after that initial trip. Yeah, was that like your first kind of eye-opening experience to those thoughts about like reunion or the unwed mother's home and like that kind of side of things? I would say yes, because it, despite being really introduced to Korean culture a lot growing up, it always seemed very like contrite and not really something that I was doing for myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, now I look at it as something that my parents are doing for me and I was doing for, I guess, myself by continuing to go. But um, yeah, I mean, that's the first time I think on a deep level that I started to really want to explore that stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah. So did your parents go with you or was that by yourself? My mom went with me. Oh, yeah. What was her, uh, Was I'm assuming that was her first time to Korea as well. Yes. What was her experience like going with you? Uh, she had a good experience too. So, yeah, I, um, she just looked, I just remember her looking around at everything and I just remember her in many different instances such as like pulling the fish apart on the table because <laughs> <laughs> working i shouldn't be saying stuff like this but but yes but she had she had a good time and i think she um was able to really bond with the other adopted uh uh, parents that were there too because we had a lot of mother-daughter teams in our group actually so Mm -hmm. i think that was kind of a cool dynamic and i'm in touch with a couple of them um uh from that trip oh yeah yeah that's awesome that you stayed in touch with them because that's uh probably a while ago at this point right yeah (laughs) (laughs) And uh, what are they all doing now? Are they still in, are they at all involved with the adoptee community as well, or are they just kind of doing their own thing? I'd say the most of them that are coming to mind right now are kind of doing their own thing. They've explored a little bit, uh-huh. um, but they. I think I've probably been the one that uh, went into the Korea thing um, a little bit more than the rest, yeah. from that group, at least. But yeah. And so you ended up studying abroad in Korea during college too. Yeah, if I just I went for a six month um, stint for that, uh, mm-hmm. just for like a small language course, and just took some other dinky classes too, like film <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> just the elective stuff that you could take wherever you wanted. Um, yeah, so I did that in undergrad. That was a good experience too. I did Korean drumming when I was there. Oh yeah got a giant bruise on my leg from it <laughs> yeah it was 
Well, yeah. well like, uh, like well, the uh, other than uh, Korean drumming and film class. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the international students from Korea didn't kidnap you and bring you back to Korea with them. It, it must have been a more significant trip for you at six months versus uh, how long was the Children's Home Society tour? Like a, a week or two? Yeah, that was 13 days, I think. Yeah. Plus, at this point, now you're at least semi an adult at this point, an almost fully formed adult ready to graduate college, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, go out there and get a job. So what was the experience more as an adult there for the six months that kind of egged you on to want to live there. I think that's when I was able to really start clicking with some of the language stuff. Like uh-huh. I, and I, cause I really, I, I'm really fascinated by, cause I think that language is also something that bridges you together. So like even not even just like the, just learning the language, but you can learn a lot about the culture from learning the language. Yeah. And just, I think that I was just, I just became really fascinated by talking with um, friends that I made on the spot. I met people by doing laundry in my, in my apartment <laughs> because I was awkward and I just, yeah, I just met a bunch of random people and we learned how to communicate somehow with their little English and my little Korean. <laughs> so I think it just, I think it was language yeah, that really just made me um, want to invest more. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a lot of random language buddies throughout that too from formal programs and just ones that I just found (laughs) so but they just wanted to learn English too so it was a good mix and then we became friends yeah that's awesome because my experience is that Koreans uh, especially probably around the time what do you what year was this that was 2008 yeah two years after two yeah 2008 oh okay yeah I was there from 2008 to 2010 so we were actually there at the same time oh (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, yeah, my experience living there as well was uh, with Koreans that they, they always, as soon as they find out that you can speak English and very well, they want to practice with you. Yep. <laughs> and like, even if you want to practice your Korean with them, they're like, no, 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 English, English. <laughs> so you end up speaking English, even though you want to practice. Yeah. I, I learned how to sift through and <laughs> figure out who wanted me for certain things and who was willing to help me. Um, so yeah, I think I was, I, I just, yeah, I just, I just kind of went through everybody and figured out who was willing to make it mutual. But yeah, I definitely had that experience too. So <laughs> well, what part of Korea were you in when you were doing this? Um, for, for the study abroad, I was in Seoul. So I was at Yonsei. Okay. Well, which part of uh, Seoul is Yonsei in? Um, the Shincheon. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. I know it very well. <laughs> I feel like there were a lot of goal events. Did you actually get in touch with any of the adopted groups while you were living out there, or was it mainly just uh, university focused? I actually I was introduced to Incas um, through the Children's Home Society tour because they gave us a one day homestay um, and stuff like that. But so I kind of knew them before Goal, uh-huh. and then I think I found Goal, and uh, they helped with. Uh, my initial uh, birth search uh, when I was there for study abroad, but I didn't really do much with them. Um, I did spend a lot of time at Korut, so I think besides the adoptee organizations, um, right before uh, that semester started, I, I, I lived at Korut, so I think that's probably where I connected with adoptees the most mm-hmm. during that trip. Yeah. Uh, throughout the semester, I I kind of just hung out with Koreans. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I love Korut. That place is awesome. Pastor yeah. Kim is amazing. 
Who was there at that time? There were people like always like, hanging out at Kobe. I smell like every chew suck at Kobe. <laughs> <laughs> It was a good group. I mean, we, I, I didn't, that's, it was also an eye opener because I got to hear Korean adoptees with Australian accents and from Scandinavia. No, yeah, so it was a good, it was a good group. I still keep in touch with a few of them. Um, and some of the others I randomly found in some Facebook groups on <laughs> the other, the other week and I was very happy. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. Who were they? Um, Jenna from Australia I had met in, um, I'm blanking on her last name, but I, I met her at Co-Root. She was part of that core group. Um, and yeah, so I need to, yeah, there's a lot of, there are a lot of, there are some Minnesota Korean adoptees I went through there too, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what months were you in Korea for? Cause you said there were six. Uh, February, I think through July. July. Okay, so you were there like at the peak coldness is when you arrived. Yeah. <laughs> spring. Spring is pretty nice though. The spring months are very nice, and then like you left right before it got like too swampy in August. Pretty much, but I was coming from warm weather because I that's my first like real big trip. Uh-huh. I guess besides like one where I got my hand held in high school, basically. Because um, I bought a bunch of tickets to go throughout Asia right before the study abroad experience that thrilled my parents. <laughs> so, um, so I was in warmer climates, um, like Cambodia and whatnot, for right before coming to the <laughs> the winter of Korea. Oh so. yeah, yeah. I'm always jealous of people who actually made their way through like Southeast Asia uh, to like Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam. I've actually never gone, but I have a lot of people who have done that, like either to Korea or from Korea. And I'm always like, oh, I wish I had done something like that. Instead, I came right back to the U.S. <laughs> but uh, so you said you started a bird search while you were over there on that trip? Yeah, I mean, I, I started it uh, on paper, at least, through uh, when, that first time that I went. Um, but it was... You had to pay money, and it went through Mm -hmm. Chosun Society, going through Eastern, and then it was, I didn't speak any Korean, so when we looked at the file, I had no idea what was going on. Right. So that, I didn't feel that that was really opening anything for me. Uh Um, Uh-huh. And then, yeah, so I I kind of took more initiative during that uh, study abroad time to to go for more resources that could help me out. (laughs) So... Um, and I kept going from there. I, I try, I've tried a few times um, to search. I went on TV, too. Not that time. Later on. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, so. so you started back uh, back when you were in high school on that first trip with Children's Home Society, and you kind of continued throughout? Yep. Up, up, through, up through now? Mm-hmm. And then what did you do when you got back uh, from Korea? Um, I... I I emailed with Go a little bit because I think they're still actually putting up signs for me, or they oh, really? did recently. But um, I I don't feel that I have a lot of power or much I can do from here. Mm-hmm. The one thing that my one of my uh, Korean American friends um, was helping me out with from here was to look at my records that I was able to get, and we kind of called a bunch of. Uh, I guess, uh, elderly homes in the small town that my mom was from. And we just, we literally just called through Skype and we would ask them if they knew, um, this person. Um, did you get any positive responses back? No, the, just one funny one was the, the Ajashi that answered the, got answered the phone. Um, he just yelled out to whoever the group was that was behind him. (laughs) You know, this woman, 
And then he said, no. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> so, yeah. So I don't, that, that wasn't positive, but that was funny. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. And then uh, what, how, was, how much time did you have left in college once you got back from Korea the second time? Uh, and co- I had, it was, that was my junior year. I think I had a year and a half left. Okay. Yeah. And so you finished your degree in communications mm-hmm. in Minnesota. And, uh, where, where'd you go from there? Um, from there I, I went, uh, I applied for Fulbright to do a teaching grant. So I was an English teaching assistant, planned to be there for one year, but I extended. So I was there two years, um, teaching. Great. So, so what was that, 2010 to 2012 then? Yep. Mm-hmm. Nice. So you did the full two years over there as well. Oh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm hoping that you didn't just spend all your time with uh, Korean teachers, other English teachers over there. Oh, no. Um, I, I actually asked to be put in a place where there wouldn't be many English teachers for my first year because I wanted to force myself to learn um, the language faster. So they put me in Pyeongchang, which is going to be where the Olympics are. So that's yes. exciting and sad at the same time, because I'm sure it's going to change. Oh, uh, yeah. That's well, naturally, it's it's got it, right? Yeah. Is that up in Gangwondo? Uh, yep, in Gangwondo. <laughs> okay. And uh, how was that for you up in Pyeongchang? That was awesome. I actually, um, I had a very uh, unique ho- homestay, um, but we became really close at the end. Uh, they were kind of broke through the, the whatever the glass was, <laughs> and then um, I think they got used to me. <laughs> so <I> would, <laughs> what does I that just, mean? They got used to you? <laughs> I think they were used to hosting the um, English teachers. They said they all had they had males before me because they had a son and a daughter. But the son used to just play sports with the English teachers, and that was the only interaction. I think um, they didn't really hang out, mm-hmm. um, and I was just kind of I would just plop myself down when they were watching dramas at night and just sit there and join them, even if they didn't invite me. So, so they, they started to find it endearing, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. You would just invade their family time and sit there and watch K-dramas with them? Yep. <laughs> were there any good K-dramas that they would watch? Uh, I don't remember the, the, the one that... It wasn't a drama. It was like a sitcom that had like over a hundred episodes. Whoa. And I can't remember what it was called right now. That's a lot but of there, episodes. Yeah. There was, a, there was a Caucasian chef that was the main character in it. That's all I remember. Cause I also didn't know what was going on at the time. <laughs> Korean wasn't very good then. Uh-huh. Um, so, but yeah. Uh, there was, they had some good dramas. They watched historical dramas, which had language way above me even now. <laughs> so... Yeah. Do you feel like the dramas and sitting with them and spending that much time with them uh, helped your language skills a lot? Oh, yeah. I I wouldn't have um, – I don't think I would have gotten this comfortable if it wouldn't have been for those experiences. Mm. Um, I was very uncomfortable for like six the first six months there yeah. uh, just because I couldn't talk to people on a deep level and – I had no nothing to do. It was <laughs> a small town. Um, <laughs> I couldn't speak to people, so I just have to talk to the, the two taxi drivers and stuff yeah. like that. So, yeah, but no, it helped. I would say you have to do that if you really want to learn quickly. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, especially if you're not immersed. I know a lot of people actually point to Korean dramas as a, a better way to try to spend time with the language and learn it quicker, mm-hmm. but 
I I'm terrible with listening skills. Like I like I my eyes are constantly glued to the bottom of the television for the subtitles, <laughs> unless I hear very common phrases and I'm like, oh yeah, no, I, okay, I got that part. But my listening skills are terrible. So you, you actually found it very helpful to do that. Yeah, well, I um I tried to find a balance. So because I when I get caught up in the plot, sometimes I would start to read a little bit more than I probably should have. Um, but I would sometimes, um, just like pause it and go back and I would force myself to do that for 15 minutes of it. Oh. Um, so, um, and then I knew I couldn't do it more than 15 minutes, but, <laughs> but then I would learn something. Um, yeah. And there's some sites that have Korean subtitles that you can get too. Um, Vicky oh, yeah. has for the older ones. Yeah. So I, that, I find that helpful. If you can read Korean, then it's helpful to be able to read Korean and listen to it. Uh, but, where did you learn to read Korean? Uh, I I guess I learned more formally grad school, but then before that, I was taking just odd classes um, here and there. I found some online ones. Um, there's one through Yonsei that I found out from Incas. They had some kind of scholarship for an online class, and I took the little bit at Yonsei when I was studying abroad, and then I applied for just random month class scholarship things and stuff. So I. And I did exchanges. So my I'm missing lots in my... I have a lot of gaps in my Korean knowledge because I skipped around so much and I was able to get to a certain level without knowing some other things. So, <laughs> so yeah, I just was a little bit forceful with <laughs> moving it along. No, that's good. It sounds like you're like a self-starter about it, wanting to go to an area where there wouldn't be a whole lot of English teachers and you're not surrounded by that all the time. Because the English teachers that I did know, a lot of them didn't try to learn Korean. Or not too much because they were always just hanging out with the other English teachers. Mm-hmm. So, uh, two years there. What, what else did you? What else did you do over there other than watch a lot of K dramas? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I should have said um, I was only in Pyeongchang for the first year, and then they moved me for the second year to Pohang. Okay. Um, so I didn't watch as many dramas down there. I just kind of <laughs> hung out. I got a bike when I was there and I did my first like half marathon running with like Korean marathons and half marathons are awesome. Like, what, what is awesome about those? <laughs> they give you really delicious noodles at the end. You oh, get really? cool shirts. <laughs> just, it's just, I had an Adashi yelling at me at the, for the last, uh, the last portion of my my half marathon because he was telling me I was young and he was old and he was going faster than me. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I, I mean, I'm I'm sure that's not at every race, but I I found it to be an interesting. You experience. never know. I, maybe that's the way Korea does it. They give you like an Odyssey who's going to outpace you. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> and then at the end, you get noodles. That actually sounds like the best race. It was the best race. That's why I like running. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but you haven't had noodles after a race like that since. That's not provided to you. No, no, they just give me a banana. This, I think that's a much yeah. sadder race. It's very gift. sad. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, well, okay. <laughs> so you, you ran a lot. What other adoption type stuff did you do while you were there? Um, see, the the thing is... In Pyeongchang and in Pohang, there they didn't really have many resources for mm-hmm. adopting. I think it was just Seoul and then maybe a little bit in Busan. Uh-huh. So I just, um, yeah, I, 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 I did 
what else did I do? I just talked with people about being an adoptee a little bit and just because everybody would ask me, did you find your birth family? Um, how would you start learning Korean? Oh, how many adoptees are in your neighborhood? How many Koreans <laughs> in your neighborhood? So I think I talked about adoption because I learned the word for adopt. Uh, I guess Korean adoptee versus Korean American. I thought it was the same thing, but it, it's not. Um, <laughs> so I was like, oh, I'm not Kyopo. Okay. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're Ibyang. <laughs> yeah, you are Ibyang, yes. But yeah, so I can't tell you that I did a lot with um, the adoptee community. I had some adoptee friends that were also teaching. So we mm-hmm. kind of just, we would talk a lot um, over the phone or from Skype and stuff like that. So okay. just about our kind of shared experience. So uh-huh. I think that's the way I kept in touch with, um, I guess, my ad- adoptee community friends. So Yeah, so you kind of made your own little group basically yeah i don't know <laughs> i mean there's nothing wrong with that it's, I, I, would, I would encourage it actually uh and incas i'm actually not super familiar with incas I, I probably should be more familiar with them so maybe you could expound upon the kind of services and resources that they would provide to you had you been in the area that they resource um well, they, I think similar to Goal, they both like, they offer uh, language class options and language buddy options um, and just services for... I don't think they were as good with the, the birth search assistance as Goal. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never gone to them for that. But they just I just remembered a lot of mentor-type programs and uh, different um, yeah, yeah, language, language access-type programs and uh, different uh, cultural events. Um, I think that's kind of all that I remember from them, except I know I'm jumping ahead, but I, I did study there in uh, for one year of my graduate program, and I did an Inca program that uh, linked up Korean adoptees with uh, North Korean refugees at a school at, near Myeongdong, so, and that was interesting, yeah, so they did that, <laughs> so um, I don't know the exact connection, I, but... The one that was explained to me didn't make a lot of sense to me, but it, I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was that one? They said both of your both of the groups, uh, North Korean refugees and Korean adoptees, are finding their journey to Korea and Korean culture, and they're adapting to life in Seoul, um, and they can do it together. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, I mean, I could, I could see that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a foreign culture, I guess, to both, but not, you know, foreign. I think more for one than the other, but that's okay. Yeah, I think they meant like it's like different, but we still have like blood ties or uh-huh. something like that. So I think they were trying to get to that, but it just didn't get conveyed that way. <laughs> <laughs> you should have translated that for them. <laughs> They were telling me this in English, so I think that's why. <laughs> You're like, maybe you meant this. <laughs> uh, and then, what? So, did you go to grad school immediately following your study of, or your two years of living in Korea? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then, what did you go to grad school for? Uh, you're just gonna think I'm a Korean nut, but I um, there's a program called Korean for Professionals that's. Um, sponsored through the State Department. So it's like a Korean flagship program. They have these different languages that they want to feed people into um, the government, um, ideally. 
um, and because uh, because of North Korea, Korean was on the list. Sure. Um, the Chinese, Farsi, all that, and the Korean program was in Hawaii, so that was a bonus. <laughs> yeah. and, so, <laughs> Can't so complain about like, that. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually wasn't dying to go there, but um, really nice bonus. <laughs> so, so, why didn't you want to go to Hawaii? I don't know. I think I was just looking to travel outside the U.S., so I wasn't really focused on any state. Ah. <laughs> well, Hawaii is outside the continental U.S. That's got to count That's for something. True. Yes, that's true. <laughs> very, very true. So how long did you were you in Hawaii for? Uh, a year total, but it was six months in Hawaii for the first semester and then um, Korea for the research and stuff for a year and then back to Hawaii for the last semester. So oh, a year. okay. So more time in Korea. And, more time uh, in Korea, yep. <laughs> total time of uh, Hawaii one year. Did, what was Hawaii like? You just sit there and study Korean all day in Hawaii, then you do a year in Korea, and then you come back and study more? It was it was interesting. They shoved a bunch of the credits into the time that we were in Hawaii, which was pretty intense. Um, but they, we, they, they were trying to get us um, equipped to be able to um, converse in Korean about uh, like economics, uh, culture, um, just everything across the board um, for like a, a diplomat to talk about. Sure. Um, and then you were able to kind of specialize in whatever research area you wanted um, and take further classes in, in that. Um, so it was, and it was all in Korean, so I was dying. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and at the end, they started adding in extra classes for the language itself um, for um, those that weren't or Korean American themselves, ah. including a, the, the, I think I was the only adoptee. Um, yeah, so you didn't so. have a leg up on the other students having spent time there. Yeah, I guess, um, no, it didn't, it just kept me um, going because I had spent time in Korea. So yeah, so I think that's how I was able to get into the program. But um, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, Hawaii was interesting because it was very intense in the classroom. Um, it was very Korean um, pace and then you'd get out of the classroom and I'd talk to other friends and they'd be like but let's just let's just hang out and walk around and go hiking and I'm like but I have so much to do but it, yeah that sounds good so it was, was kind of like a culture shock for Hawaii versus Korea when I was there which sounds strange but <laughs> it was my experience well what was your focus of study once you got to Korea and, and everybody was else was studying diplomacy and economics and everything <laughs> Um, I was actually looking at alternative education for North Korean refugee youth. So that's why I actually started doing that, whatever program that was with Incas, um, because I I was able to kind of um, be able to meet with people in a natural setting. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, so I was kind of looking at, because they have an alternative school. Well, they have a lot of them, but there's one that's recognized as actual high school um, called Yomyong uh, high school in uh, in Seoul, so I kind of was looking at that one in particular, uh, just to see if it um, if th- that's a better experience versus um, putting um, students directly into regular uh, high school classrooms right mm-hmm. away. What's better for adapting and um, being able to get up to speed? Because it's pretty intense with the education system out there. I so bet. I'm also interested in education, so I'm <laughs> so and language and all that. So that's why I chose that. Um, I didn't get that you were interested in language at all. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> no, no. Uh, so what were the major findings of your studies over there? Just uh, that, like, I don't know. I don't know. What were the major findings? 
Well, I guess what I was trying to propose, which wasn't too innovative, was just that the, the that type of school should exist because many of the students, uh, the the level they came in on, even just like where they uh, were, um, like with physical development of like what um, of not not being as uh, tall or whatnot as some of the other um, students and whatnot. And people are really mm-hmm. mean I'm in high school. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so just um, being able to build up that self-esteem, kind of being um, in uh, that a, a school that was kind of catering towards the student-specific needs, mm-hmm. um, but also having some type of interaction where there was some classes. Because you hear about the school, um, like high school students that do those classes at colleges. Like they'll go and do some and they'll leave and have that experience or part of the part of the day. And having something similar to that would be kind of beneficial for the South Korean students to adapt as well as the North Korean students. So that's kind of something that I was trying to propose as something that would be like a natural way to uh, kind of make a movement towards having integration. Um, but yeah, so I, but it, it didn't, from the interviews and whatnot, it didn't seem that, there was a desire to go straight into the the system. Um, there was a lot of bullying and stuff like that. So, yeah. So do you have to take those uh, those results and those findings and your writing back to the State Department to be like, you guys should work on this, or what do you do with that? Oh, I wish that we would have that kind of power. <laughs> <laughs> no, you. We. I. I, I could present at a um, at a graduate conference um, in Hawaii and stuff like that. But I mean, besides that. If you continue on to a PhD, you can look at that. But I mean, uh, I could bring that to the State Department, I guess. But I, yeah, no, <laughs> sadly, no. no desire to pursue a PhD in this. I I've been talked out of pursuing a PhD in general <laughs> by many people. By who? Um, Other PhDs, I, they're like, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Ten years hard. Don't do it. You won't have a job. <laughs> There's no job security. I'm like, okay, 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 okay. okay <laughs> so, like, unless you get a full ride and you want to have, you want to be an academic, like 100%, then don't do it. And I was like, I, I don't know. I will just think. And if somehow it seems like PhD is the right path again, then I will look at that then. But yeah, I would just, I've just been steering clear since, since um, it started to resonate. Since you've been warned off. Well, it yeah. sounds like you're interested in education. So, I mean, maybe being an academic is a is an opening for you. That sounds like it could possibly be a path you could go down. Uh, I also, like I said, I like I like hearing people's stories. I like talking to people. So, like, but I don't. I'm I like research, but I I don't know. I like being able to talk on normal people level too. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, it's all that wonky academic talk. <laughs> I'm getting enough wonky DC talk out here as it is. So, it's a um, different kind of wonk out at DC. Oh, mostly, yeah, completely different wonk. <laughs> mostly like policy wonks. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay, well, how did you end up in DC from Hawaii then? Other than the State Department. Is that what happened? Uh, well, after the program, I really just... I wanted to figure out how to get into foreign service. So... And I, I just kind of wanted to start uh, moseying into State Department type work. So I was looking for a way to get out to that area. I knew that you just had to be there to be able to network, and that's how you get jobs. <laughs> uh, but in the process, I was just searching online, and I found this Korean-American nonprofit um, that I'm at right now. And my friend from graduate school had forwarded me the same job announcement saying, hey, check this out. So I thought it was a sign. <laughs> so I thought I would apply for that. And 
I ended up in D.C. because of that. <laughs> so, so you got the job. I got the job, yes. And what is the You're job? sticking with me. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. What? Oh, sorry, say that again? So what is the job? Oh, um, I'm an advocacy director at the National Korean American Service and Education Consortium. And yes, the Korean name is just as long. <laughs> so, so, um, but yeah, that is an incredibly that. long name, but it's, yeah. it's been shortened to Nakasek, right? Nakasek. As far as the, yes. uh, the lettering goes. <laughs> and so what do you focus on at Nakasek? Um, a lot of immigrant, uh, it's been a lot of policy around like the, the immigration reform, um, fight was really big right when I started in 2013. Mm-hmm. So it's been a lot of campaigns um, uh, ranging from a month-long fast to a bus tour that went across America, just all kind of trying to share the, the need of keeping families together and um, reforming the system. So we do a lot of work around that on the, I guess, community organizing front, um, as well as just promoting the policy pieces and doing a lot of the, the visits out and out with administration on the Hill. Um, but recently we started doing, expanding our work to focus on adoptees too, which has been really exciting. Um, I know there are a couple adoptee board members. Um, one of them that, I think she was one of them, Becky, uh, that was able to make it click for me that I wanted to keep pursuing the job when I went to the interview. Um, Cause uh, she's, see, there seemed to be a way to connect um, doing work for the Korean American community and also having adoptees be included in the meaning of Korean American community. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of became a reality when we started doing the Adaptive Citizenship Act stuff that um, we, the, the community was all coming together and we're all just, I'm hoping that we'll all be fighting for the same stuff. So it's been, the focus is across the board, but that's in general what we do um, and kind of how it connected to adoption work now, I guess. <laughs> so Yeah. Well, was that a surprise for you when they started doing that kind of adoption work or did it, was it, natural to the organization i mean other than the Mm -hmm. some of the board members being adopted i yes and no um the the chicago affiliate uh actually has been pretty active i think with the most active with the uh, like the adoptee community related things they do more like cultural programming and stuff like that too so i think they were more in tune so it seemed more natural there um but i wouldn't say it was a huge surprise but it was to some extent because the reason we got more into it was because it was related to citizenship issues and um, the possibility of deportation issues for adoptees. And that's kind of the something that we've been focusing on for the rest of the Korean and Asian American community already. So that link kind of made it natural. So like, oh, this is something that impacts adoptees too. So um, it, it kind of just clicked for, I think it was more surprising probably for some of the people in the, in the organization, but they were, they very much embraced it and, yeah, I'm very happy to see the direction that it's gone. Yeah, so let's talk about the uh, Adoptee Citizenship Act a little bit because we've touched on that a little bit on the show already after uh, the second day of action that mm. I had just missed uh, when I was down <laughs> there in D.C. But uh, Spencer Stevens and uh, Wendy Marie kind of went to the Hill along with a couple other people mm-hmm. to uh, go lobby Congress and the, and the Senate in trying to get this thing passed. Uh, but how did this uh, ultimately really come up? Like, how did they find out that there was this loophole uh, in the system that the Child Citizenship Act kind of left open? Well, there have been adoptees and other other members in the adoption community that have been doing work around this way before me and everyone that did the Days of Action. Um, but, I mean, I 
I found out it through this work. And I, people have just, uh, I think there's a, a lot of people that still don't know that it's even an issue um, mm. because it does seem that it's very a no-brainer. Um, but you were saying, um, how did people in general find out for the day that participated in the Day of Action? Or No, I mean, like, how did, so the work on the Adoptee Citizenship Act is trying to close this loophole. Like, how did that loophole even get found other than uh, a couple of people, or, or was it because a couple of people were going to be deported because their parents uh, basically just never finished or didn't fill out the paperwork to make them United States citizens? There just started to be cases where people were uh, figuring out that the, this law wasn't helping them. Um, so it just, and then I believe people, it was pretty immediate after um, when they, because they had that very clear age cutoff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was very clear to people who uh, were having the problems that they weren't going to be included. And then it was creating this this big gap and creating problems. Um, and it wasn't being prioritized, really. Um, it was, yeah, it was put into the last, I mean, as an amendment on the immigration reform bill. But, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't really getting the traction. Right. Um, that it should have been since 2001. So, uh, but, yeah, I just say it was just the, the trickle of people that they were discovering it was it was leaving out. Um, and I don't know what to say beyond there. I think it's just the power <laughs> of people coming out and saying, Hey, yeah, expecting me. And then they were, I, I mean, there is the cases where people have been going into detention centers. They have been mm-hmm. put in deportation proceedings. So, and that makes the news. And then people realize it's a problem. I think it was a lot more like a hush hush thing um, right. for some situations too. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, were you involved with uh, the Days of Action up on the Hill? Yes. Uh, and wh- what were kind of the results of all that? Well, I was really happy to see the results because the first, the first Day of Action, um, it was very Korean-led because we had a, um, a big busload from Chicago come in that want, um, wanted to support um, the adoptee rights work. And so it was just about, it was about getting the attention out there again um, in, in the narrative about Adoptees without citizenship, mm-hmm. and I think it did that. It got the it got immediate attention, and um, it's been spreading since then. And the second day was, I would say, and there's no proof of this, but that it was a it was a big reason why the House introduced uh, their version of the bill because uh-huh. um, they knew we needed a bill to advocate on. Um, otherwise, we would just be going and talking to the House members and. You'd be saying it, the language will be will likely be the same for the House bill, but we couldn't. They, they're not going to move on it. They don't have a physical bill that's for their chamber. So, um, the result from that was that we got a, another bill introduced in the House. So, um, yeah. So I'd say that it's the the power of the movement has been working. Nice. And who is the who are the primary uh, House members that are behind the bill right now? Uh, it's. Uh, Representative Adam Smith in Washington, and then Representative uh, Trent Franks, I mean in Arizona. So um, they have bipartisan support on that, and the House end too. So we're excited about that. Nice. Is that looking like it's going to pass this year? It's it's a very sticky thing to say. I I, I would, uh, with all my heart, I hope it I hope it does. And I do believe, and I believe a lot of us do that. There are there is an opportunity. Um, and there's still time. Um, it's a very small window since everyone's about elections right now. Yeah. Um, but there's still there's still time before elections start, and then during that lame duck, 
even if it's attached onto something. So I, I'm operating under the assumption that we still have we still have a chance, um, but we're also building that support um, and that all the voices. So it will be a priority right when the next Congress starts up. Um, if it doesn't go through this year for some reason, mm-hmm. and obviously, you know, we don't know what the election results for your any of the national election type stuff is going to mm-hmm. look like, or how the House and Senate are going to look like, much less the presidency. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, we'll, we'll we'll not talk about that kind of stuff. But uh, I mean, what's the plan? Should it go to next year? Uh, hopefully, we'll still have uh, more adoptee leaders sprouting up. I think it's like it's been the people that have been willing to speak up and share their stories and um, demand attention from the media and demand attention from their senator and their representative that have been really driving this. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully we'll have more people that feel that they want to be part of this and they want to they want to lift their, their story up because they deserve to have their story lifted up. They deserve to have citizenship. So I'm just hoping that it will it will bring more um, more voices out, and it will bring more support, um, and just continue to educate uh, the many different people that aren't aware of the issue that are even on my Facebook and uh, yeah everywhere. <laughs> so, just education, education, education that becomes reality. <laughs> so, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, is there anything else that uh, you or Nakasek are working on that you'd like to kind of uh, talk about right now? Uh, I. Just related to the Adoptee Citizenship Act, I would just say that uh, there, it's not another day of action, but uh, the next big push has been to organize uh, this postcard campaign, um, which was, we've titled the Families More Than DNA. Um, and we're just really excited to be able to start getting people feeling they can um, be a part of this and sign personal messages and direct it to different members of Congress um, to be that we're going to deliver in October and then November. So it'll be kind of another like mini many days of action, but um, just another campaign that I'm really excited about and a, a lot of people that have kind of sprouted up in the Adoptee Rights campaign, um, being um, Nagasek being a part of that too. Uh, just, it's, yeah, it's, just been, it's an exciting campaign now that's going to keep us energized until we see what happens. So I think that's, um, that's a part of the same story that you were asking about, but that's another campaign that we're we're really asking for support from um, everyone out there. Yeah, and how can people find more information and support this? Uh, we have a website, adopterightscampaign.org, that has a wealth of resources. Um, so uh, lots of uh, different areas if you want to donate, if you want to just get information on who to call. Uh, yeah, just want to know how to get um, regular updates. You want to know phone scripts, um, yeah, letter templates, all that good stuff. So, um, yeah, Adoptee Rights Campaign dot org is where you would go um, for that information. So, fantastic! Yeah. And if people want to try to get their representatives as well to support the bill before uh, the time closes, I'm guessing uh, all that information is on the website as well. Uh, yes. Excellent. Or it will be added. We're working on that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, let me know, and we'll we'll put that information out also once uh once it's up there. Mm-hmm. And uh, where can people find you online and, and your work? Uh, well, I'm not a huge social media person, but I, I'm on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter except under organization. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm, on, I'm Emily Kess is my Facebook. So I kept it short and sweet. <laughs> K-E-S, right? Yeah, K-E-S. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show, telling me, uh, talking to me about your story, and obviously uh, continuing the good work over there at Nakasek and trying to get the uh, Adoptee Rights Act passed. Well, thank you for thank you for taking the time to to chat with me and hear my rambling on the Rambler. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about the rambling, so we could talk about anything you want. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for coming on the show. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye. All right, that was my conversation with Emily Kessel. How was that? How was that, everybody? It was pretty good, huh? She's a very nice person. I want to thank her again for coming on the show. Uh, we might have her on again to talk a little bit more about the Adoptee Citizenship Act in the future and maybe get some uh, progress updates uh, with regards to the uh, ever-changing political situation. Anyways... If you guys want to be guests on this show, The Rambler with Mike McDonald, please send me an email at therambleradhd at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. You can tweet at me. You can DM me. Uh, you can find me there at therambleradhd. And finally, you can like my page on Facebook. Yes, you too can be a fan of The Rambler like almost 300 people are now uh, on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash therambleradhd. As always, you can also share this with your friends via iTunes, the podcast app on your phone, or uh, we're on Google Play, we're on Podbean at podbean.com. Just search for The Rambler, and the latest two episodes are always up on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com, and you can just search for The Rambler ADHD, and you'll see my face, and it'll appear in any of those venues. Share it with your friends and family if you think they'll, they'll enjoy this. Put it on Facebook. Tweet about it. Uh, I will interact with you as much as I can on any of the social media platforms if you uh, mention me or something like that. And I will uh, get back to you. Music Today is provided by The Bell at Needle Drop Records as well as a collective effort. You can find their music on SoundCloud as well. Little did you know, you're actually listening to a collective effort right now. Uh, Speaking of awesome things that you can put into your brain. Have you guys been watching Luke Cage? It came out on Netflix this past week. I don't know if you're a comic book fan or a fan of Marvel movies and television shows as I am, but Luke Cage is killing it on Netflix. So much so, in fact, that it broke Netflix last weekend when it was released. Netflix just, like, was overloaded with traffic and shut down for a couple of hours because Luke Cage is that awesome. And the hype is real. The hype is justified, everybody. So if you have time, go check out Luke Cage. It's an amazing TV show. And we are actually going to feature some of a song from the series Luke Cage uh, by Jadena called Long Live the Chief, and that comes from Wonderland slash Epic Records, and they are a division of Sony Music. So you can look forward to that, or a short clip of it at the end of this episode as well, Uh, at least the radio-edited version. Anyways, I hope you guys have a great week. Enjoy yourselves. Enjoy the day off. I hope you have a day off today. It's Monday as I'm recording this. I apologize for not putting this out yesterday. I did run the... Uh, Staten Island Half Marathon. I did not train for it because I was on vacation in Iceland and I've been kind of on and off vacation for the past few weeks and that is why I did not train. My legs are completely destroyed and I have learned my lesson. I need to do better training for runs in the future. So sorry legs and sorry for putting this out late everybody. But that's what I was doing and that's what I was doing. And now I am going to... uh, You know, keep recovering and uh, do that by relaxing under a nice warm blanket and watching Luke Cage. More Luke Cage. Maybe I'll go back and watch some more of the other Marvel TV shows as well. They're also on Netflix in beautiful 4K HDR. I love it. 
All right. I will catch you guys next week, and you can tune in with my conversation with Sophie Sanderpel. Sophie Sanderpel. Enjoy that next week. I'll talk to you guys then. Peace out. Fighting over range, won't be the game, but long little cheek. For a little old thing, little boys bang bang. Long little cheek. Fighting over range, won't be the game, but long little cheek. Yeah, watch pretty mama while I slay my cane. Long little cheek.